We are in the season of Advent. Yay! It's exciting. So Advent is about the coming, the arrival of Jesus, surprisingly. No, nobody's surprised by that. We're a church. We talk about Jesus a lot. We love Jesus. Um, But this is a sermon series we've called Light in the Darkness. And last week, Chris focused on how the darkness, like we need to recognize the darkness of the world so we can further understand and appreciate and accept the goodness of the light of Jesus, the good news. And uh, yeah, so when I was young, you know, I grew up Catholic, so there is a very kind of demarcated season of Advent. And it's all about anticipation. But then you also get like the anticipation from the world around you, you know, like, boom, Labor Day, Christmas commercials start. You start hearing the holiday music on uh, Coast 103.5, I want to say second week of November every year. So it's just a lot of anticipation. And so I always thought it was kind of a cultural thing. And then I read the Bible, and I realized there's a lot of anticipation in the Bible for Christmas. Like, it's really comical how many people in Jesus' family are visited by angels saying, like, here's what's coming. Because I think what, like, his birth is so wild that they all needed to be really prepared for it. Like, his cousins... His cousin John, you know, the John the Baptist, his parents were visited by angels and told, like, yo, this is coming. Mary was visited by an angel. Joseph was visited by an angel. Even the day he was born, all the shepherds were visited by angels. It's like, they needed to know this is so weird and wild and wonderful. You got to be prepared for it because it's going to be hard to believe, even though it's, like, to his family. It's like, you're the ones experiencing it. So it, there is a lot of anticipation and uh, that's the season we're in. We get to recognize that as we come up on Christmas every year. And we're going to look at one of the gospel stories. It's the gospel of Matthew today and how he begins that, how he kind of sets up the story with anticipation. And I'll be honest with you, it's probably one of the parts of the Bible you might skip when you read it because it's a genealogy. I think we have the scripture and it just goes... On and on. That's just a few verses. I don't know if you want to click through and just show us like more of it. Look, it's a bunch of names. And it's so-and-so begat so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and blah, blah, blah. And this reminds, do you remember um, Ben Stein? Right, and he's like the droning scientist voice. Oh my gosh. Manasseh, the father of Amen. Amen, the father of... Jo- What's his famous line from Bueller? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. He's like, just like, this is not... This genealogy is, it's a dry chunk of scripture, right? It's like, there's no narrative, there's no action, it's just, here's so-and-so, here's so-and-so, here's so-and-so, and And it goes on for like 17 verses at the beginning of Matthew. But it's important, and we're going to talk about it today, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, so don't worry about that, whether in my own voice or in my bad impression of Ben Stein. Um, So why does the scripture, why does the gospel of Matthew begin with the genealogy? Well, this was a piece of news to the people in ancient Israel in the first century. They were spreading this good news, as Chris said in our communion, it's good news, it's not just advice. Here's a story that you need to hear that is going to change things. But the people listening to this, they want to know, okay, why should I listen to this story about a guy named Jesus? You know, so this genealogy, which is very important to the Israelites, to the ancient Jewish people, it legitimizes the story. It says, like, 
Here's who this story is about and why you should listen, because it connects him to his whole Jewish heritage, all, like going all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. It basically says, like, he's one of us. He's one of you. So Matthew's gospel, more than the other gospels, was geared toward a Jewish audience. He wanted the Jewish people to know that this promised savior from the, that the prophets talked about long ago, he arrived, he did the thing, it changes everything for us. So listen to this story. That's why the genealogy is important, because it sets up the story. So introductions are important, right? Like, Chris introduced me very briefly today, because you all know me, kind of like, I'm doing a pastoral residency with Pac City and the National Vineyard, and that like legitimizes why I'm talking to you in front of this church. But what if Chris came up here and he was like, hey, we got a guest speaker today, and uh, he descended from a Civil War army deserter and a deadbeat great-grandfather who went from village to village in western Pennsylvania and had kids with women and then abandoned them. Uh, by the way, true story, my grandma discovered a half-sister when they were both in their 80s who grew up in the next town over. And uh, uh, this speaker also had an alcoholic grandfather and all kinds of other just sin and philandering. I had a great uncle who went to jail for mail fraud. So by the way, that's the guy who's going to speak today at church. <laughs> like, what kind of introduction would that be, right? But that kind of introduction is a little bit normal in a church context, but you expect the the change at the end, right? Like Chris talks about Pax City and the history of our church because he had a dysfunctional family for generations and then his parents met Jesus at a church in somewhere in, in or near Cleveland, Ohio. And it changed the trajectory of their family's life and that's what inspired Chris to get into this kind of line of work. So like the messy, embarrassing story in church world is kind of good when it comes with that like hook at the end. Like actually this changed. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing here with this genealogy. So it starts off real dry, but it's also full of scandalous people. And we're going to look at that uh, just a little bit today. Would you pray with me for uh, our time? So God, I thank you for your story and your good news and that it does come from mess and scandal, and it's not an introduction that's expected, but it points to you and your goodness, and I pray that we would just receive more of what you have for us um, in your word today, in our prayer time later, and in this season as we reflect on you coming to earth to offer us the best thing we could possibly receive, yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> again, Big, long, dry genealogy, but full of scandalous and interesting things. Now, you may know, of course, that, uh, well, actually, this is true of the world today, but also true of ancient times. We live in a very male-centered, patriarchal society. That was really true in ancient Israel. So this genealogy is different than a lot of genealogies at the time because it's full of women. There are five women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. This is kind of unheard of at the time. So a, a listener, somebody hearing this Gospel of Matthew would have been like, what? Okay, that's different. Why are they mentioning these women? But especially these women, because they were kind of scandalous in the history of Israel. We've got uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife is mentioned. That's Bathsheba. 
And then, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So just a little bit to familiarize yourself with these women, if you aren't uh, intimately. I mean, I'll be honest, it's like I'm kind of going through the Old Testament right now, but uh, it's... That's a slog of a read at times. I want to dig in, but I uh, need to remind myself some real characters in there. Tamar was, um, had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, Judah, and deceived him into that after he had done something terrible to her earlier. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. Hey, what's up? In the lineage of Jesus. Ruth, not as scandalous, but was an outsider, like not a Jewish person. The first three, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, they weren't Jewish people. So this whole thing about setting up to a Jewish audience, like, these are our people. Here's why you should listen. But he's mentioning outsiders in this. This is not something that our nation should be proud of. Okay, but then he gets to King David. That's who we're proud of. That's our hero. We're the Jewish people waiting for a new King David to save us from the Roman Empire. What do we mention about David here? What does Matthew say? The one terrible thing he ever did, which was one of the, the biggest terrible thing that we talk about a lot in church, is like he had an affair, killed the woman's husband to cover it up. And that's going to get us to Jesus down the lineage of his family line. Uh, so here's this great king, but let's just recall the absolutely really awful sin that he did. Um, then we get to Mary, of course. Now, Mary's okay. But to the outside world, this looks scandalous, like uh, unmarried pregnant teen about to have a baby around some animals. Um, so that Matthew sets this up with all these people who are, to a patriarchal society, an embarrassment to Israel. This is not the thing that we would proclaim to the world about who we are as a Jewish people. Sets it up. Here we go. Jumping into the good news. Are you ready to hear about this guy, Jesus, now? What a family, huh? You're not going to believe how he was born. Like, so that's how Matthew jumps into his gospel. So why would he set up the genealogy this way? I think it's really fitting that it is so different. It's different than the genealogies. It's different than the introductions you would hear of a significant person at the time because this was a different kind of person. Jesus changed the world. He changed the story of the Jewish people. He upended culture, right? Matthew's showing us that by this radical inclusion of women in the story, reminding the listeners, all of us are made in God's image, not just great kings or like semi-great kings. These women were part of the most important family line in history. They played a part. It may have been painful. There may have been experiences in their lives they weren't proud of or liked at all, and they were victims. But their inclusion shows like a lack of shame about them. We don't need to hide these people. We don't need to scrub them from the history. Archaeologists have found that King Herod, who was like the Jewish king at the time of Jesus, or at least partly in his life, actually did kind of fix his genealogy and erased some names so it looked a little better for him. We don't want to do that here. Matthew's not interested in that. Jesus isn't interested in that and hiding anything about where he came from. And the inclusion of these people and all their scandals, and all their pain, and all their hurt, it cannot diminish or tarnish the story of God that's being told here. But 
in including them, Jesus can kind of lift them up, a little bit like restore their reputation, proudly include them in the story of Jesus. And in that, I think we see grace. Like we see what Jesus came for, this gift of something new and life-giving to the story of Israel and to the whole world. Even in this like seemingly boring list of names, there's the work of Jesus. Now, ultimately, that's expressed in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And all of that doesn't necessarily change the past, but it can change how the past governs the present. It can change how, it, how we relate to it. All the messiness, all the horror of ancient Israel, it doesn't need to be hidden. Their story, like these women's stories, it's not over because their lineage led to Jesus. So Israel's here in the first century wondering, like, where did we go wrong? Rome's beating us down. This sucks. Did we totally fail? Uh, kind of. Like, maybe they did. <laughs> they ignored all the prophets and kept rebelling against God. But it doesn't matter because God kept his promises through them anyway. So in the birth of Jesus, we celebrate God becoming human, lowering himself not just in a human body, but like in this really icky human story. You know, he came to serve his people. He came to serve the world through an unmarried pregnant teen, born in a barn or a manger or whatever. Here in this nation that was on the brink of violence, you know, they had some victories. There was like the Maccabees or whatever and like, yay, you know, just trying to like keep themselves as a nation against the oppressors. But Jesus had so much more for the world through them, through the ancient Jewish people. He changed the story. And the cool thing for us is he's still at it. He's still about changing the story. He's still about changing the world. It's a bigger story than just Israel's failings and then his redemption through them. It's still going on. His kingdom is still coming where, where he is invited, where people invite him into th their lives. So the question I want to ask you is, like, how does this, like, what does this mean for your story? How does it change your story to have met Jesus? I know a lot of, like, this is a crowd of regulars here, right? So, like, in some sense, you've experienced Jesus, whether here because you come and listen to us every week or because you've known him for many years in your lives. But he's still at work and still wants to work with you and in you. The grace of Jesus, you know, you may have learned this, it can't change your past, but similar to the story of Israel, it can change how your past governs your present. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, like these scandalous women in this genealogy, whatever you bring to Jesus, he's not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to include you in his story. It's his story of changing the world. Just as Matthew included these women to kind of set up this like wild tale of the good news, Jesus doesn't want to hide any part of yourself. He doesn't want you to hide from him or other people necessarily. Who you really are and then having met Jesus reveals his grace because his truth and love is most seen in an undeserving person's life, receiving new life with him. And it is a story. You know, as our lives go on, the story unfolds. It can be messy. 
I still need God's grace, even though I kind of met him in a personal way. Oh my gosh, math, how old am I? 26 years ago? Yeah, like I still mess up. Since I met Jesus, I've, I've been the Peter, you know, denying him three times before dawn. Not proud of it. I've driven drunk. Not proud of it. I've hurt people. I've done so many shameful things that I can't possibly list them. Chris knows a lot of them. He's a good prayer partner in that way. Because he looks at me with grace and says, okay, what are you going to do now? Let's invite Jesus into that. Um, a lot of things I'm not proud of, a lot of th things Jesus isn't proud of that I've done, but he's proud of me. He celebrates me. Like he celebrates every prodigal that comes home. And he celebrates these women who in their pain and their circumstances did their part, even though they probably didn't realize it, to bring Jesus into the world. And that, to me, is such a beautiful picture of God's grace. Like taking the mess, taking our failings, and saying, but you're part of my story, and I'm going to include you in it, I'm going to be proud of including you in that, in what I'm doing. Uh, Philip Yancey is an author who wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Gosh, it's probably, that's probably as old as I've been a Christian. Like, it's from the 90s. But he explains grace this way, and I just want you to hear it. I'll say it twice, and you can think about it. It's, I didn't put it on the screen or anything. He explains grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's his love for us. That's why there's no story he's ashamed of. Because if he enters the story, it changes. And he is glorified. And goodness comes in our lives and glorifies him. And invites others to know the same thing. That's why Matthew is probably excited and proud to say, like, look at this messy family history. But guess what? It changed. It changed when our Savior was born, when he went to the cross, when he was resurrected. So all that grace that's like so hard to fathom, it's hidden in this genealogy, this like boring, weird chunk of scripture that it opens up with in Matthew. But it's a picture of God's grace. The mothers of Jesus that others would have ignored or hidden in a proud family line leading toward the story of God's ultimate gift for us, which is truly a light in the darkness, both for ancient Israel and their Roman oppression and for each of us today. So that's all I got. <laughs> but um, I'm excited for this season. I'm excited that we get to celebrate Jesus yet again this Christmas, wherever you're going to be, if you're here skiing in Mammoth, a snowboarding, sorry, if you're traveling across the country to the Redneck Riviera. And uh, that's a reference to some winter, wintering people in Florida. Um, would you all stand up and the band can come back up and we're just gonna, as we do, open up a little bit of time of ministry and see what God wants to do. And I would say the general invitation to each of you is, we have prayer team people up at the front. 
And you can come get prayer for anything. You know, maybe you want a little bit of your story recently or for years or however what many long to change. You just want a little bit more Jesus to come in with his grace, his wisdom, his guidance. Um, but let's just kind of quiet and wait on the Holy Spirit and see if there's anything specific he wants to do or say. And, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll invite Chris, Kate, Marcos, anyone else who has Jess, if you have a word or anything. Um, yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, yeah, so Lord Jesus, we invite you. Send your Holy Spirit. Um, we want you to come and continue leading and changing our stories, that you would be glorified in them. And help us to not be ashamed to say that we have need of you. So we invite you now, and if you have anything you want to call us to, or any particular one of us to, speak that now and show us now, Lord.